This is First Nature, Episode 2 on the Rising Man Podcast with Sean Barry. It's Earth Day, folks. And hey, how did we get Earth Day anyway? Welcome, Rising Man family. This is Sean Barry on First Nature, your nature connection channel on the Rising Man Podcast. And just before we get started, I wanted to remind you all, men especially, that if you are looking for something to challenge yourself and to figure out more about the capacity of who you are and what you can bring to the world, head on over to risingman.org and check out some of the programs there. You can read up on Ignite, Fire Circles, and Inferno, some great online programs. And if you're really looking to shake things up, please do go and check out our initiations tab, which includes Compass, our four-day, four-night solo fast in the wilderness. It's a transformative rite of passage that's been practiced in many parts of the world in some form for thousands of years. And it will definitely transform the way you see yourself, how you see the world, and get you in touch with your most unique, authentic gift that you can give to the world. So again, check that out and much more at risingman.org. Good day to you, Rising Man family. This is Sean Barry. This is our second episode of First Nature, and I'm super excited to be here sharing my passion and observations and uh, encouragement to you all to just get out there and discover how amazing it is that we're, we're living on a planet. We're living on a planet. It's the only one like it for thousands of light years around. I mean, it's incredible. And what's even more incredible is that we actually have a day called Earth Day. It's today. It's a day where we celebrate the planet we live on, which is, you know, on some level, just, wow, like, how did we get here? Why aren't most planets like this one? Why is it that virtually no planet is like this one? So we're going to talk about that today, just how Earth Day got started. What are some ways that we can really just tune into the magic and amazingness of life on this planet? And also just kind of link it up a little bit to the medicine wheel, something we started talking about on our first episode, and to use that as a model and a mirror to just track ourselves as we spin around the sun in the cycles of life. So, Earth Day. Well, how did this become a thing and what's it all about? Well, I'm just going to take us right over to earthday.org, the history page, and I'm just going to read a little bit about how this day got started. So there was a senator, his name was Gaylord Nelson, and he was a junior senator from Wisconsin, and he had long had a concern about the deteriorating environment of the United States in particular. So in 1969, in January, he and, of course, a lot of people witnessed just a terrible incident of a massive oil spill that happened in Santa Barbara. Well, he was also paying a lot of attention to the student anti-war movement, and he realized that he could sort of take the energy of how those anti-war movements with students were happening and combine it with an awareness and consciousness about air and water pollution. So he announced the idea for a teach-in college campuses to the national media and persuaded uh, Pete McCloskey, a conservation-minded Republican congressman, to serve as his co-chair. And then they recruited this guy named Dennis Hayes, who was a young activist, to organize the campus teach-ins. And they chose April 22nd, which was a weekday, falling between spring break and final exams to maximize the greatest student participation. 
But then Dennis Hayes, the young activist, realized that this had the potential to inspire all Americans, not just students. So he went on and built a national staff of 85 people to promote events across the whole country. And the effort soon brought in to include a wide range of different organizations, faith groups, and so forth. They changed the name to Earth Day, which immediately sparked the national media attention, and it caught on across the country. First Earth Day inspired 20 million Americans. At the time, that was 10% of the total population of the United States to take to the streets, parks, and auditoriums to demonstrate against the impact of 150 years of industrial development, which has left a growing legacy of serious human health impacts. Thousands of colleges and universities organized protests against the deterioration of the environment, and there were massive coast-to-coast rallies in cities, towns, and communities. It was a pretty big day, pretty big event. And because it was a national event, there was a lot of groups that had been fighting individually against oil spills, polluting factories and power plants, etc., who were able to unite on Earth Day around these shared common values. So Earth Day 1970 achieved a rare political alignment enlisting support from Republicans and Democrats, rich and poor, urban dwellers and farmers, business and labor leaders. By the end of 1970, the first Earth Day led to the creation of the United States Environmental Protection Agency. Did you guys know that? The EPA was a result of Earth Day, the first Earth Day. That's pretty cool. The first Earth Day also led to other significant government acts like OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Act, and the Clean Air Act, all that as a result of the first Earth Day. And two years after that, Congress passed the first Clean Water Act. And a year after that, Congress passed the Endangered Species Act. So it was a pretty powerful event that first year they had it. In 1990, Dennis Hayes, the activist student, was still very involved with Earth Day, and a group of environmental leaders that year approached him to organize another major campaign for the planet. But this time, Earth Day went global, and it mobilized 200 million people in 141 countries, lifting environmental issues onto the world stage. Currently, Earth Day brings hundreds of millions of people into the environmental movement, creating opportunities for civic engagement and volunteerism in 193 countries. Earth Day engages more than 1 billion people every year, and has become a major stepping stone along the pathway of engagement around protection of the planet. And hopefully you're listening to this podcast while volunteering for some really cool Earth Day organization and function or event today. It's a great way to get involved and to put the good word out there and connect with the, your, your local peeps. Let's go a little deeper. Let's, let's just kind of get past the history, past the hubbub of this day, and just take a closer look at, you know, why, why is it important to have... Putting our, to be putting our attention, so much attention, onto our planet. I mean, why do we only put this kind of attention onto our planet and nature on Earth Day? How come we don't do it every day? You know, there's plenty of opportunities to read books and watch movies and hear stories of the old peoples, the indigenous, the aboriginals who were living in harmony with nature for tens of thousands of years. And by the way, that includes your lineage, right? So every one of us has some kind of ancestral lineage that, that goes back into these, these primal days where our people, where your people knew exactly how to live off the land, who lived in the cycles with the seasons and who lived in harmony, who understood what the plants were for and how to get things done, how to process different resources to make things they needed to survive and to live well. 
as we became better and better at technology and figured out we could actually plant seeds to grow our food, the agricultural revolution hit and we started to kind of stay put more and made some more technology. And suddenly we've got iPhones and satellites and rocket ships and stuff. And it's really hard to take our attention off all those things to just bring it back to nature. I mean, that's where that stuff all came from. Realize that your phone is made up of all kinds of little bits of earth. Someone literally has picked up a handful of dirt and turned it into your cell phone. That's pretty incredible. But just saying that doesn't make it any easier to feel connected to nature when we're sitting on a busy freeway in traffic and we're getting a bad signal on our phone and our call's dropping or we're late for an important meeting or, or whatever it is. Yeah, there's a lot of work to do to just kind of drill down through all the layers that we've interpreted our resources into with our technology to get to the connection with nature. Even if you are, you know, getting a lot of nature time, maybe you camp a lot or backpack or you're involved in some kind of outdoor activity like mountain biking or hiking even, chances are that it's, you know, you're squeezing it in when you have time or it's just for a limited, you know, a week here, a few days here, short trips that we just kind of put into our greater schedule of operating in a modern world. And what are we doing in that modern world, right? Well, we're all trying to make some money. We're all trying to, you know, feel like we have a sense of safety and a sense of security with our activities and providing for our families and, you know, being able to make offerings to our friends with what we've accomplished. And that's all really, you know, useful and good things to do. You know, myself included, a lot of us still feel like we have this kind of disconnect with nature. Like nature is something we kind of get to when we have time. And then we, when we do get time, it's like, wow, you know, how did I forget this feeling? You know, sometimes you're out there just catching a good sunset or just, you know, a beautiful day with a little breeze and the clouds and the sun's just right. And it's such a great feeling just to be alive and to be on this planet that has all these amazing things going on. You know, being on the shore of an ocean or next to a, a brook running and or just, you know, seeing a butterfly or fireflies in the summertime evening back in the Midwest. And maybe you had this feeling come over you of like, why don't I do this more? Why don't I get myself out here more? And, and how good it feels to slow down and relax and to just not be so busy and to just be present to what is there right outside our front door. I mean, even if you live in the city, you know the difference between walking out on a day where it just feels good, even in the middle of the city with the certain way the air crackles on a crisp fall day or just seeing the green that does grow in cities. Like every city I've been in, there's always some kind of landscaping up and down the streets with trees or hedges or local parks. You know, it's all around us. We just forget that it's there. But with Earth Day, wow, like a billion people, probably more. You know, just at least more than a billion who are aware of it. I think they said a billion people are participating actively. So, you know, if every one of those billion people tell a friend what they're doing on Earth Day, that means at least two billion, like a quarter of the population of this planet, have some kind of attention and direction noticing where we live on this planet and nature, all the life forms and, and systems that make it livable are getting our attention on this special day. But probably tomorrow, everyone's just going to go back to their regular schedule, right? And we'll wait another 364 days to 
to have another Earth Day where we actually take time and give our energy to doing something on behalf of helping this planet deal with us, right? The human. We're uh, just really becoming a little bit of a nuisance in some ways with the way we take care of our resources or, or don't take care of our resources and uh, how we're treating this planet and the rest of the species here. So I'm not pointing fingers or anything at all. I'm just noticing that that, you know, that is something that I'm totally guilty of. So, you know, there's so many days I get caught up between feeling good about the small changes I do make or read about big changes that certain juggernaut companies are making, which is happening more and more every day. But then other days, the climate science gets to me and, you know, I, I'm taking my empty sparkling water cans out to the recycling bin seems just ridiculous and futile. And I despair that I've got a crutch for carbonated water that I'm not willing to shake in order to provide a healthy planet for my grandchildren. I mean, you know, we can really just get into our heads about these things, especially when there are so many other industries and organizations that are just really needing to clean up their act, like literally. And the difficult thing is we rely on these industries to get through our modern day. We've put ourselves in a catch-22, both as innovative technological species and also as consumers in the modern era. But we can't really just point the finger at a company like Amazon or Walmart or any of these other large companies, global markets that are, you know, just exploiting a lot of different opportunities to make a fast buck. I mean, I've definitely ordered more than one thing from Amazon. And if you go to any kind of large superstore or order online a lot, we're definitely all contributing to the system that is rapidly changing our environments. But here's the thing. No single one of us are fully responsible for having made humanity what it is and how that's now impacting the planet. So first thing we got to do, we got to let go of the guilt. In my opinion, guilt, when you hold on to it, ultimately produces shame. And shame, well, that's the ultimate roadblock to growth, the ultimate roadblock to taking action. When I feel shame, usually how that shows up for me is I stop moving forward. I feel like I don't have the right to step back into that domain where I experienced the shame. So we all got to just let go. We got to let go of our shame we feel around our role in contributing to climate change because we're all doing it. We're all in some way, you know, locked into this system where we are on some level involved so what do we do after we let go? I mean, if we can really drop that shame, well, then what? It's not like we're going to just tomorrow stop doing all the things we do that are contributing to the problem. We're just not. I'm not. You know, I unfortunately wouldn't function very long or very well without my car and the electricity, the stores that I need to go to to get my food and basic things. Uh, the roadways and all that's happening, the way goods are delivered. Yeah, I mean, it's wishful thinking, folks. I hate to break it to you. But we do need to make changes. We just can't make them out of fear. If you've ever changed something because you are afraid of the outcome that that fear was going to generate, it's not like the change makes the fear disappear. It's just, you know, you're just not close to that fear anymore. And probably if the fear was proven as not valid, it's a pretty good chance you might do that thing if it wasn't going to, you know, bring up any fear. So fear is not a good motivator in that respect. What we need really, you know, what makes us really make authentic and lasting changes 
is the relationship we have to the thing that we're dealing with, right? So we're talking about relationship to the planet. That's something amazing humans have. Humans have this great capacity to create relationship. It's what we do. And you know, some other species exhibit that aspect of making relationship, but really humans have kind of cornered the market on making relationship. It's just based on, you know, everything we do is based on relationship. So the planet's no different. We can actually make relationship with the planet. You, you can make a personal relationship with the planet, with nature. It's not that hard. It's just, you know, maybe it's just going to feel a little odd or strange, which right there, that's relationship. If you feel a little odd or strange about talking to plants, talking to clouds, talking to bugs, hugging a tree, that's your relationship to nature. You know, as humans, we really, we just are relative creatures. So not having a relationship, quote unquote, is relationship, right? So if we take some time and begin to look around us and spend more time just connecting with nature and building a relationship with nature. I know for me, that's what's really generated an impetus and a desire and a passion around wanting to protect and preserve what I consider to be such a beautiful, astounding place. You know, I have that personal inner just love and desire because of the relationship I've created with nature. And that's available to all of us. And yes, we still need the corporations to make big changes. We need regulations. We need fines and all kinds of remedial ways to sort of move bigger players into the realm of making positive strides towards correcting our situation. But underneath that, it's really your personal connection to nature that's going to make it stick, right? Because corporations, they're made up out of people too. And everybody is eating the food that grows on this planet, breathing the air, drinking the water, jet setting in their jets, going to some other place on the planet to have a nice weekend. That's still all in nature, right? Nobody's commuting from another planet to Earth to do their work and then leaving. So that is one place where we are all responsible, where we all can consider ourselves on the hook. I mean, let's face it, there's nothing you do in your day that doesn't involve this planet that doesn't involve the food that you eat from this planet that doesn't involve the elements that have built the entire world you interact with it's all earth it's all nature even you my friend you you are nature your actual self you know if you just look at your body look at your skin your physical self how much you weigh the water in your body you are earth walking around you know, there's that popular phrase that you are what you eat. But a man by the name of Brock Dolman up at Occidental Arts and Ecology, he once said, you are what you don't shit. And really, that's what's true. You know, we eat the food that grows out of the soil of this planet, or we eat the animals that eat the plants that grow out of the soil. In our bodies are full of minerals, vitamins, and nutrients that the plants and animals generate from the soil, from the literal earth. You know, and when we eat, we put this material into our bodies, like literally into our body, and our digestive system breaks it down. And the material that we don't defecate out of our bodies, well, what's retained is transformed into your flesh and bone. We are scientifically Earth walking around looking at itself. 
And what do we see? What do we see in this great mirror of nature when we realize that there is no difference between who we are and what is all around us? And I'm just going to talk more on the scientific level because I know that's a, a way that a lot of you might be able to just take this pill a little more because I know it sounds kind of woo-woo, but scientifically it's true. There, you know, there's only one type of DNA in everything, plants, animals, it's all the same DNA. All animals and plants share the same DNA, which is basically a code of only four different you know, letters. There's only four different sort of you know, varieties of DNA, which code for the same amino acids from which all proteins are made in living life. You know, we share around 60% of our DNA, humans, with bananas. 50% of our DNA with trees is the same. It's the same coding. 70% of our DNA is the same as slugs. Isn't that crazy? And 44% of it's the same as honeybees. So the truth of what we're really looking at here is whether you're comfortable thinking about it or not, we are related to everything else that is living on this planet. Anything that has DNA in it is, is a relative, you know, and there's lots of old mythologies and spiritualities that's, that talk about all of our relations, that no one life form on this planet is any greater or less than ourselves, because so much of what we're made of is the same stuff as everything else, you know, and even though we can't talk English or Spanish or whatever your first language is to a tree, there is a certain language that is being shared on that level, on that DNA level, right? Like knows like. So to me, the real miracle here is that it's us humans, you know, I hold it that I am no greater or less than any other life form or object, you know, even rocks, you know, they actually have all the minerals. So we have minerals in our body. So on some scientific level, rocks are our ancestors. You know, they're the ones who shed the minerals out of their bodies so that eventually our bodies could be created. So even rocks, you know, they have a certain egalitarian position here on this planet with us. And it's us though, as the human, we've been blessed with this consciousness, at least to us. I don't know, perhaps animals and rocks, you know, they might be having their own sort of experience that we just haven't, you know, detected yet. But from our perspective, from my perspective as a human, wow, I get to be a part of earth that is upright and gets to travel across itself and look at itself, to look at itself in the mirror, to see myself in the trees, to see myself in the animals, to see myself in the clouds, to see myself in the stars. We're star stuff, right? And to just have that sense of just joy and amazing presence of the incredible wildness of life, like life. To me, the most awe-inspiring thing is to look around at the rest of the planet, to look around at everything else that is, and to know that the human is the most advanced, the most developed, this like the version, version X of all that this planet has been able to make, and that we get blessed with consciousness. We get blessed with the ability to turn around and look back at itself, to look into the mirror, 
and just to acknowledge like how amazing, how amazing is life? How amazing is it to have consciousness and how wonderful that everything orchestrated in such a way over eons and eons and eons of iterations and iterations of iterations to produce this moment where I get to look out my window and just be stunned, be stunned by the beauty. So, you know, what we're doing here is we're building relationship. We're introducing ourselves to a beautiful partner, right? We're having that first hello. If we do that, I believe that we can start to make core changes within ourselves. Difficult, yes. Challenging, yes. Scary, uncomfortable. Long, enduring times of sacrifice. But if we know that it's leading towards protecting all these systems and all the different organisms and essences of life that also created us, then isn't that the best way to show our gratitude? Isn't that the best way to not only show love for ourselves, but to show love for all of our relations, all of those who came before us in some way or another that allowed us to be here, here and now? And what a tragedy to lose it if we do. So... Yes, we need legislation. We need world leaders and giant corporations to come into line. Everything that's being done out there and as fast as it's beginning to happen, it all needs to happen for sure. Nobody's off the hook here. But again, at the end of the day, you know, are we going to be, am I going to be, are you going to be happy? Are you going to be content with the new way that we live life? Are your children going to be content because of the way that you raise them in light of this new paradigm we are moving into with how we live on earth. Are your great grandkids going to have that new paradigm? That idea that earth is our most beloved relationship, our most beloved ancestor. It is us, you know, loving the planet and caring for the planet is loving ourselves and taking care of ourselves. That's really what we're talking about. But you have to take a personal interest. You have to cultivate the desire and the, the curiosity and the willingness to step into that realm, to you know look out the window and step out your door in a whole new way, in a way maybe that you've never done in your whole life. And yeah, maybe it's a little weird, it's a little scary, it's uncomfortable, but that's what it takes to become personally involved. So, I talked about this last time. This kind of stuff isn't rocket science. It's really easy. We're kind of designed to do it. We just, we've just gotten away from it. Our societies and cultures and modern ways of doing things, you know, just doesn't really account for how actually deeply connected and integrated into nature we really are. So all you need to do is just start paying attention more, right? Notice the birds flying around Notice the waves crashing on the surf. Notice all those little green leaves coming in on the trees. Spend time in nature. Spend time in nature with your senses. Really see things. You know, don't worry about naming things, but just see the textures. See the colors. See the movement and the stillness. Our listening. And just how much of nature is always making sound and and how rich the listening experience can be. You know, touching things, touching the grass, touching the ground, touching a stone, you know, petting your pet and just really realizing that you're petting another living, breathing creature. It's amazing. 
So yeah, simple work. It's just shifting our awareness one step at a time until we are able to step into our house, step out of our house. It doesn't really matter where we're stepping. We're stepping on a planet, you know, to have that ultimate realization that everything we do and everything we are and everything we have come out of this ground of this planet and to have a, a new respect and integration and love and relationship with it. If we start treating the planet the way we would treat one of our grandparents or great-grandparents, how much different would our choices be? Involved with something, if you are involved with something today on Earth Day, I hope you get a chance to listen to this before you, you know, head out to do it. Because the opportunity is to to do that thing, to really not just go there just to be with people and just to feel good about taking some action to clean up the environment. I mean, that's all important, but to really see it as a step towards building relationship with the planet, to demonstrate that you care and are concerned and want to find a new way of being with this place that has made us who we are. It's the first step. And the more that you begin to live your life with that kind of awareness and that kind of interaction, slowly building it up over time, and then the more it becomes who you are. And the more you begin to see nature not just as this inanimate stuff that is sometimes really beautiful, but as actually relations, part of your family. And then every day is Earth Day, not just today. All right, friends, thanks so much for tuning into First Nature on the Rising Man podcast channel. Remember, for all things Rising Man, make sure you head on over to risingman.org. Check out the programs there, both online and our initiations, which are in person. Subscribe to the podcast on the podcast app of your choice. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. I know you hear that stuff all the time, but building up the likes and getting some more visibility really, really helps get the message out to everyone out there who might really want to find it. So leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Reach out with any comments on the threads. We'd love to hear your feedback. And a huge, huge high five to the Rising Man Power Team. That's Sean, Mark, Julian, Rowan, Ryan, and Kyle. Wow, I know all those guys personally, and you guys are making this really easy for me to do this podcast. Lots of gratitude to you men, and remember, find out who you are inside by getting outside. I'm Sean Barry. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.